Well, you can be seated. We're not going to stop worshiping. We're going to just continue to do this by opening up our Bible. So would you open up your Bible and go with me to the book of Mark? Uh, the book of Mark, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you forgot it at home, uh, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, that's kind of like our uh, online bulletin. Uh, there you can get the notes and, and some announcements. You can take your own notes, and, or uh, our ushers are coming around. Just get their attention. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. We are in Mark chapter 5 today. Mark chapter 5, just a reminder, uh, Mark is answering two questions for us in this book, okay? The first is, who is Jesus? Who is this guy? And the second is, well, then what does it mean to be his disciple? And uh, uh, he is trying to prove to you what, what Mark thinks. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, he said Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You already know that. What you don't know is, is that we are in the middle of kind of a three-part series, if you will, on um, Jesus' power. Okay, we're seeing his power and authority proving that he really is the Son of God. Uh, last week, we saw that he has power over nature when, when he was calming the storm. Remember that? And now we're going to see that Jesus has power over evil because he heals a man who is demon-possessed. Next week, we'll see that he has power over, over death and sickness because he's going to heal people, raise the dead. Uh, so that's right where we're at, right in the middle of this. Last week, we saw like the darkness of a storm. And this week, i, I got to be honest with you, um, it gets a little darker. In fact, it gets a little creepy. We're going to start talking about demons. I have noticed uh, that this story is strategically left out of most kids' Bibles, and there's probably a reason for that, okay? I just want to, can I just give you a little caution here? When we start talking about demons and, and spiritual warfare, uh, we, need, we need to be careful, Okay? Uh, on, on one hand, uh, we need to not diminish and dismiss the existence and the power of demonic forces, okay? It's wrong to assume that that's just some sort of ancient biblical reality or, or that all of it is just some sort of like sci-fi or horror movie material, but, but that none of it is actually true and, and happening today. It's not true. It's real. But we also don't want to delve into the, the other extreme and, and just have this unhealthy, excessive interest in it where you're like looking it up and you're constantly consuming all of these creepy, crazy stories just to get these thrills. Not safe, not helpful, okay? But it's important for us to remember that, that Jesus has already said uh, he is bringing in the kingdom of God. And so there are two, there are two kingdoms and they're at war with one another. Okay? We see God's kingdom, which is breaking through in the person of Jesus, but we also see the kingdom of Satan that is motivated by hatred and rebellion and this wicked desire to destroy God's kingdom. But as we look in this, Mark chapter 5, if I could give you a big idea, I think this is going to be encouraging for you. Big idea of this text this morning is this. Evil destroys, but Jesus saves. And we tell the world. Is that anybody fired up this morning? I think about this. Mark is not telling this juicy, shocking story just because it's going to stop the scroll and, and, and give audiences what they want. This story, a story can also illustrate a truth, right? And, and so I think when we read this in just a moment, what happens to this demon-possessed man is actually the story of the world. I want you to see that as we read it, but think about it. Satan enters in, 
he destroys, but Jesus came to conquer and to save, and now he sends us out to go and spread the good news. Because the destructive power of evil is no match for the power and the authority of Jesus. And that is the great message that we have to declare to a world in need of a Savior. So I want you to see that as we're reading Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Verse 1 says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, Mark loves that word, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. You know, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. and They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. But as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demon begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. But he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. He went away, began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So I want to show you uh, three progressive chapters of this story. We're just going to break this down, okay? So just note this. First one, uh, if you're taking notes, you can just uh, kind of organize it in this way. Uh, first chapter is this, evil destroys evil destroys. You see that? So we're getting this, this setting here. Verse 1 tells us that he came from the other side of the sea. Just a reminder, it's been a bumpy ride, okay? Like this, they, they were in this massive storm, okay? So you can just picture the disciples. They're, they're still kind of like shaking here as they get off the boat. They thought they were going to die, and, and this, thing, this storm was insane. And then they saw Jesus do this incredible miracle, and everything was calm. And so this is one of those points where somebody asks you like, hey, how was your trip? And you're like, I just want to lay down. That's what the disciples are feeling in this moment. But Mark says, verse 2, that no sooner had he stepped out of the boat than immediately here comes this demon-possessed man. 
Just in case you needed a reminder that Mark likes the action. He's like, no sooner had they stepped on the land after surviving this life-threatening storm than a wild, crazy, demonized man comes flying out of the graveyard. They're like right back into the chaos. And I was thinking about these disciples. I'm like, these poor disciples, they got to be, some, at some point, some of these guys have got to be thinking like, what in the world did I get myself into here? Like when I signed up to be a disciple, you know, like I, was, I thought he was going to be a teacher. I thought it was going to be like sermons and, and, and podcasts and maybe some lectures, just taking some notes or something. This is crazy, okay? But, but Mark wants to give us these details. Look at it, verse 3 to 5. Um, he gives us this detailed description of the man, and, and this is probably the most graphic and disturbing and pitiful depictions of demonic destruction we have. In fact, this is the longest story so far in the book of Mark. And, and we get more detail about this man and his condition than about any of the other people that Jesus has helped so far. Normally, I mean, he gives kind of a, a generic, pretty simple uh, description. We've, already, we've actually seen demon-possessed guys already. Remember that, chapter 1? Chapter 1 just said, here, here's how he described it. Chapter 1 said, a man with an unclean spirit. That's it. You get nothing else about him. He also said that, that Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. We don't get any, like, why? Like, you know, what was really wrong with her? She's, she's got a fever. I don't know. And then he said that he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. Again, just like general descriptions here. At the end of chapter 1, he, he talked about a leper. No other details. We don't, we don't know what's going on here. Like, how, what was the extent of that? What did that look like? Don't know. Chapter 2, he told us there was a, a, a paralytic carried by four men. Again, there's no why. There's, there's no how did this happen. We, we don't know. Chapter 3, there was a man with a withered hand. We don't even know what, really what that means. Okay, here's my point. This man, we get so many awful details. This guy is miserable. He's coming out of the tombs. Why? Because verse 3 says that's where he lived. He lived among the tombs. Okay, so those were probably like caves that they dug into the side of a hill to bury their dead. Okay, so these caves are filled with bones and filth. And you can just kind of imagine at some point there's probably the smell of rotting flesh. I mean, you're probably not pushing a whole lot of real estate out there. Why? Because it's gross and it's creepy. And we don't really know, like, did he, did he go out there by choice? Did the locals push him out there? We don't know. But we know that he is a social outcast. He's living in isolation. And nobody wants to be this guy's friend. And this has actually been going on for a little while now. Because look at what we read there. It says no one could bind him anymore. Verse 4, they'd, they'd often bound him with shackles and chains. I mean, that's a sad history, isn't it? That's his interaction with people. That's what they're trying to, they're trying to chain him up. That, that language is almost more fitting for a, like an animal or, or a beast. This guy is a freak. He is a monster. That's what they're dealing with. In fact, you see that he says he would take them, you know, he's wrenching them apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. The guy has superhuman strength and he's out of control. That's why he's an outcast. Because the people are freaking out. They're, they're scared to death of this guy. He's dangerous. They're like, don't let him out on the streets. Lock your doors. Hide your kids, hide your wife, that kind of thing. But they couldn't escape. They couldn't get away from it. Why, why, why? Because look at what it says. They could hear him, verse 5. Night and day, 
He's out in the tombs, he's up on the mountains, and he's crying out. I mean, that had to be unsettling, right? You're hearing this demonic screams and, and madness, and, and it's just constant. It's happening all day. It's happening all hours of the night, meaning this guy's not sleeping. He's restless, and he's driven to insanity. And, and, and then it says that he's cutting himself with stones. You just imagine what that must have looked like for Jesus and the disciples. This dude rushes up, and he's like, you, you see blood all over him, and he's cut up with these lacerations. I mean, it, it, it's kind of enough. It's, it's kind of enough to make your stomach feel sick if you really start thinking about it. You're like, don't, don't go near this guy. Don't, don't touch that. And, and, and even later in verse 15, after all of this, Mark tells us that he was clothed then, indicating that he's not now. In fact, Luke actually confirms that for us. He, Luke actually told the same story. Luke chapter 8, he said, for a long time he had worn no clothes. This is just sick and perverted. The question is, why? Why does Mark tell us all? I mean, we've, like I said, we've seen demons before, multiple times. So there has to be a reason that he includes all of this graphic and gruesome imagery here for us. And I think it's because he's trying to vividly show us the hatred of Satan for God and his creation and the extent to which evil forces can destroy. He's showing you these demons have power, and it can impact humanity. And I know that most of us probably have never seen any kind of demon possession like this, but that hasn't changed. They hate God and his creation. And while we look at this man, and, and he's kind of scary and, and revolting, if you have any sense of pity at all, you look at this man, you're like, man, he's just a, he's a, look at, he's a victim here. This is awful. But he's not an innocent victim. That's, that's actually what makes this worse. Because all of us are complicit with Satan's rebellion. We want to fight against God in and of ourselves. And that ought to make us just hate our sin all the more. Look at what it does. Look at what evil does to people. You're seeing this, this, this physical manifestation of spiritual decay and deterioration of God's design. And, and it's such a, a, a bleak and awful picture of how evil destroys. This is what happens when Satan's kingdom has its way. I, I think we're going to better appreciate how good this story gets if we feel the horror of how bad it really is. I mean, you think about it. Like can, look at this guy. Can a human possibly get any lower than the state he's in? If you're in charge of this guy's psych evaluation, I mean, he probably ends up in, a, in an asylum, right? And let's just pretend that you're, you got to do some court-ordered counseling. You're supposed to go help. Where, where do you even start with this guy? I mean, honestly, you, you, you'd be feeling like, there's no hope. Give it up. This guy is a lost cause. Looks like Satan wins. But that's only chapter one. Because look at chapter two. Note this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Verse two 
says when he stepped out of the boat, immediately there, there met him. That, that, that word met has the idea, can, can mean going out to meet someone in battle. Okay, so we're about to have a showdown here. You, you can almost hear like old western music of a gunfight, right? You, you hear that? That's, that's what's going on here in this moment. We're about to fight. But, but that's not what actually happens. Verse 6, look, look at what happens. When he saw Jesus from afar, we're like waiting for the fight. Here it comes, here it comes. He runs and he falls down before him. We're like, wait, 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 what happened to the fight? It's a no contest. The demon is tapping out before it even starts because he knows he's in trouble. The demon had wrecked this poor man. I mean, he's just having his way with him, but he's not picking on somebody his own size. And then Jesus shows up. Okay, so like you're just imagining this. I, I kind of pictured this like, it would be like if, if you had a first grade bully. Yeah, you know the first grade bully? You know, the, the, I'm talking about a big kid. Now, I, I, this was never me in, in, in school. I was always the scrawny little weakling over there. So, but I want you to picture that kid that looks like he's going into middle school and somehow he's still in the first grade. And, and he comes over to find one of those poor little kindergartners and he's sitting on him and he's just pounding him, beating on him, and then... Dwayne the Rock Johnson shows up. Right? Like I know the rock doesn't have anything on Jesus, but you can see that imagery, right? You can you can feel that, right? Like, yeah, we got we totally got that. Here's the deal. That that demon, um, he's powerful. He's a bully. In fact, verse 5 told us that no one had the strength to subdue him. Nobody can bind this guy, he's too strong. Nobody has the power to bind him except Jesus does. Because I don't know if you remember this. Back in chapter 3, you remember when Jesus got accused of being possessed by a demon? Remember that? The, the Pharisees are like, oh, he casts out demons by demons. And Jesus is like, guys, that doesn't even make sense. And then chapter 3, verse 27, he said this. He said, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless, listen, listen, unless he first binds the strong man. And Jesus was saying that strong man was Satan. Satan is powerful. Satan is a strong man. But Jesus is stronger, and it's not even close. He has the power to bind the enemy. And so now this demon who's been picking on this poor man, he encounters Jesus, and he knows he doesn't even stand a chance here. And so you see in verse 7, he's like, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? At least he gets his theology right. We're thankful for that. But, but commentators think that this is probably because the, this, this ancient belief that if you said your enemy's name out loud, that somehow that gave you spiritual authority over them. It gave you some sort of power. It's not working. I think he knows that. Okay, so he says, I adjure you. He's, he's pleading. Like, hell, please, please. That's the demon. No, okay? Jesus is commanding him to come out. He says, what is your name? Verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. The, the word legion there is a Roman military description of, of about uh, 6,000 soldiers. And that doesn't mean that that's how many demons we have. I don't know. The, the exact number is not the point, but it is proving to us we're not just dealing with one demon. We're dealing with a whole host of demons, which makes a whole lot more sense why this guy is so messed up. If you're the disciples, think about, think about this. You've seen Jesus take on demons before. Lots of times, actually. So as soon as they saw this guy coming up, they're like, oh, Jesus, he's got this. No problem. 
But then they heard that. And I don't know what that voice must have sounded like. That could have been creepy. We don't know. But that must have sent, like, shudder up their spine as they hear that. And, and, and now they've got to be thinking, like, well, we've seen him take one, but can, can, can Jesus take on a whole army of demons all at once? Can, can he take on an entire army of demons? But here's the thing. Don't, don't miss this. The odds haven't changed. The battle versus good versus evil, Jesus versus evil, is not equal forces. It's not some sort of yin-yang, back and forth, who's going to win, we don't really know. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, and there is no one like Him. He alone is infinite, and He is omnipotent, all-powerful. And listen, He created these demons, these finite creatures, these angels that became demons. And as this infinite, omnipotent God, as Creator, He has authority over them. Which is why we see them in this subservient position and they, like, they keep begging Jesus. Verse, verse 10, verse 12, you see it. They, they begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. They, they're begging him again. Send us to the pig. Like, please, please. Like that's, that's, that's where the big mean bully is on his hands and knees crying. Can we talk about the pigs for a minute? I don't know about you, but if you're reading this and you get to this point in the story, does anybody else kind of feel like, that's ah, weird. Kind of random, okay? So let's talk about the pigs. The pigs uh, to the Jews, remember, Jews don't eat pigs. Okay, this is unclean. And so that actually indicates that this area is a Gentile area. A lot of people that are not Jews here. That's going to become significant in a moment, but I think also it represents money. Now that's somebody's livelihood because the locals need their bacon, which is partly why probably because they're, they're, they get so ticked off when uh, all the pigs die, they ask Jesus to leave, right? Come on, be honest. You, you'd be pretty ticked off if you lost all your bacon, right? So that's, that's, that's a little bit of what's going on here. But these demons still bent on destroying something. Like if we can't destroy a man, we at least want to destroy something that God's made. So it's crazy to me, verse 13, that Jesus gave them permission. Permission means it was, it was a, an authoritative call. Okay, who's in control here? He allows them, but in that moment, he shows that the life of one man is greater than anyone else's possessions. And he sends these demons, they come out and enter into the pigs and the herd, about 2,000. That's a lot of pigs. And it shows you it's, it's just a bunch of things, okay? It says they, they rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and they drowned in the sea. I mean, that would have been kind of a disturbing scene to, to witness. But here's the deal. That is a picture of what Jesus does to his enemies. And it gets even better. It's actually foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do when he returns and he finally defeats Satan. I want, I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10 tells us what happens at the end of the battle. The devil, Satan, the devil who had received deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur. Just like the pigs are thrown into the sea, Satan and his forces will be destroyed by the lake of fire. Okay, that's good news, guys. That actually gives us hope in the midst of the chaos that we see. 
I think about this, like our, our faith in Jesus actually helps us make sense of the world that we see around us. Because we can all look around and see evil, right? And we see corruption and senseless violence and, and school shootings and and we see the epidemic of sexual perversion and abuse and depression and poverty and, and addictions and, and pain. Our world is messed up. Why? Why? Because Satan's kingdom is in an all-out rebellion and attack against God's creation. What's worse is that in our choice to sin, we've joined in that rebellion against God. And so now we are living under the curse of sin. And these demonic, evil forces want to wreck this world. What's scary is they want to wreck you too. But if there's any doubt in your mind, who wins in the end? With just a word, Jesus has the power to bring evil to an end. He saves. But he's, but he's not just destroying his enemies. Uh, look at what happens here. He brings, verse 15, he's bringing restoration. Because after the, the herdsmen, they go tell everybody in the, in the towns, in the country, and they're like, what the heck happened to our bacon? So they come flying in to see this. And, and they came to Jesus, and look at what they saw. They saw the demon-possessed man... The one who had the legion. I love that Mark throws that in there. He's like, I just want you to be able to see this contrast. You see it? Look, look at what you see. What's he doing? He's sitting there. The guy's at peace. He's not flailing around anymore. It's been a long time since he's been able to just sit down with people. It says he's clothed and in his right mind. I picture this like an action movie. I know you've seen this. A, a, a lot of times at the end of an action movie when somebody has survived some crazy, life-threatening ordeal and then you see them at the end and they're, they're sitting behind a, a, an ambulance and they're wrapped up in a blanket. You know, that's this man. He's safe. The bad dream is over. No more screaming. No more cutting. Just back to being a regular old Joe. He's sitting there having a conversation with Jesus. Rational, normal conversation like friends. I love this picture. Look at what Jesus just accomplished. Man, a couple of minutes ago, you'd have given up hope that this guy could have ever changed. Now you're looking at him, you're like, you never would have known that he'd been that bad. Jesus saves. Let that challenge your faith and encourage your heart in what God can do. I know some of you are praying for somebody that, that you're wanting to see come to Christ. And the hard part is you, you've been trying to reason with them and they just, man, they don't, they're, they're not really, they want nothing to do with God or they, they think they're okay and they don't really need God. And you've been trying to reason with them. You've been trying to help them understand, but you know that they are lost and they are on their way to an eternity in hell apart from Christ and they don't seem to care and, and you keep trying and it's easy in those moments to just think like, it's not gonna happen. There's no way they're going to come to Christ. But don't give up hope. Apart from a work of Christ, none of us would ever be changed. But that's what he does. He saves. Evil can be so destructive, but Christ's power is even greater. Satan will not win. Jesus came to destroy all evil. The crazy thing is, that would have included us. We have joined in this evil, except that he paid for our sins. 
He, he literally stepped in and he took the full force of the wrath of God that we deserved and he died on a cross for us. Colossians 2 says, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus wins. He wins. Because of the cross, Pastor Tim Keller has said it this way, God can destroy all evil without destroying us. He doesn't have to kill this guy. He doesn't just have to put him out of his misery. He can do so much better than that. And if Jesus can save a man like this, then he can save you too. If this man, in all of his depravity and demonization, is not too far gone, and there's no reason to doubt that no matter how far down someone has sunk into the kingdom of darkness, He can rescue them. He can restore them. Because He's saved. Is that your story? Well, as great as that is, that's not the end of His story. So I want you to look at chapter 3. Note this. We tell the world. We tell the world. Look at, look at the reactions that we see, verse 15. When the people saw the change in this man, it says they were afraid. They're, they're frightened by this power. And so much so that verse 17 says they began to beg Jesus. They're begging. They're begging Jesus to depart from their region. They want him to go away. Here's the one who has the power to defeat the enemy and save them, and they want nothing to do with it. Don't be surprised when our mission is met with resistance. Just because people see the incredible work of Christ in you and they hear our stories of how God has changed you does not mean that they're not still going to reject Him. So they get rid of Jesus. Verse 18 says, as He was getting into the boat, man, who had been possessed with demons, begged him. There's begging again. We've seen that a lot here. Over and over we're seeing people begging. Demons are begging. The people are begging. Now the man's begging. Jesus is the authority, okay? We've got to get permission from him. He's in control. But he's begging. What's he begging? He says that he might be with him. That means he wants to be his disciple. We've been learning that disciples love the presence of Jesus. But what's shocking is what happens in verse 19. He did not permit him. Okay, how's that fair? Like, you let the demons go when they asked. You listened to the people when they were begging you to leave, but now he doesn't let a man he's just saved go with him. Why? There's a reason, right? There's a reason. What does he say? He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. See, this man has a story to tell of how Jesus has worked mightily in his life, even though he didn't deserve it. It's mercy, okay? 
Yes, he was a victim of Satan's attack. He was not an innocent victim, and he did not deserve this, but Jesus did this in him, and now he's sending him on mission to tell everyone he knew. This is what we're looking for here in Northern Virginia. We're asking God this year, God, would you give us 100 stories of people, lives that are transformed by your glory, mobilized for your mission. See, if you have been saved, if Jesus has done a work in you, then you are sent. He says that the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He is sending you to go tell your I was but God story to the world. Because only Jesus can take us from this place where evil is destroying us and completely change us and then give us reason to live. He gives us purpose here. So I love what the man does. Verse 20, he went away. And he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. So I want to show you, I got a map of this, because I know uh, most of you probably haven't been to the Decapolis, uh, but I want, I want to show you Jesus' strategy here, okay? So, so most... I love to get this out. I'm sorry. This makes me feel really powerful. Most of Jesus' ministry has been right up here in Galilee. You see the Decapolis down here on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has spent most of his time in Galilee. In fact, he probably left right here from Capernaum, and he went across the sea. In fact, it tells us that he went there on purpose. I don't know if you remember this. Back in chapter 4, verse 35, he said, let us go across to the other side. Jesus is going here on purpose into this Decapolis, into this Gentile area, but it turns out just to be a short-term missions trip for Jesus. Because now he's getting back in the boat and he's going, you see that verse 21, he's going to cross again. Jesus leaves, but listen, listen, not without a witness. Not without a witness. See, they got rid of Jesus, but the testimony of his work is left with a man who had been sent. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. I couldn't help but think of another map. Almost everybody in this room lives here, works here, eats here, hangs out here, bumps into lost sinners every day who are on their way to hell here. What would happen if we obeyed like this man and lived like we were sent here? You're here. He sent you here. And I know you, like, you're anxious about getting into conversations with people. And Listen, you know this stuff, okay? You can tell them what Christ has done for them. I know that, that, that you're, you're, you're worried that if you get into it, you know, man, they might ask a question and I really don't know the answer to it. Well, why don't you try this? Go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Isn't that a great place to start? And I'm working on this too, guys, okay? I got my Catholic neighbor, goes to church, doesn't know Christ. He's trusting in himself and his works. I've tried it. This is the opportunity for me to say, listen, I have confidence that I'm going to live with him because I'm not trusting what I do. It's what Christ has done for me. 
Just tell them what Jesus has done. Go be bold witnesses for Christ. Have we preached on this before? It feels like we keep running into this in God's Word that we're supposed to tell other people about Jesus. Well, then I've got a question for some of you. For those of you who have heard this over and over and still aren't doing it, how many times are you going to hear the Spirit of God speak this Word to you and ignore it? And not let it bring you under conviction. And let the gospel stir your heart to live on purpose here. To make him known. Don't miss out on a greater purpose that God has for you. This is why you are here. You're not here to climb a ladder. You're not here to make money. You're not here to have a relationship you're not here just to raise smart and happy kids. You're not here to build a comfortable life. You are sent here by God to be a bold witness. And for those of you who are doing this, can I just tell you, thank you. Let's be faithful to this. And would you just let this stir your heart again? See the power of Christ and embolden you. This is true. And let the gospel overflow from your heart into conversations again this week. Because this world is being destroyed by evil. Jesus is the only Savior. Father, I pray that you would... We come back to this a lot. I pray that you would really stir our hearts to be faithful to the mission that you've given us. Lord, thank you that you defeat evil. We can look in the face of evil and injustice, even stuff that we've seen this week, and know you don't turn a blind eye to that. You care about that, and you have done something about that. You've made it possible for those of us who are the worst of sinners to find grace and mercy and to be forgiven and to know that we could spend eternity with you in joy. That's just grace. We don't deserve it. And we have the confidence to know that when you return, you are going to set all things right. So Lord, I pray that we would be bold this week to just tell others how much the Lord has done for us. You are great and glorious. We give you the praise in Jesus' name.